You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Well, uh, last week we talked about Christmas, obviously, and, and even Christmas Eve. It was a lot of fun. I, I, I always enjoy Christmas Eve service and just hanging out together, kind of that story time fashion. And uh, this morning, we're going to pause our study in Peter one more time, and we're going to head to uh, the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to talk about holes in the walls. And in, in Nehemiah 2, 11 through 18 will be the main text, but we're going to be in several places within Nehemiah. Um, but before we do that, I just want to pray over the word. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's as true today as ever. This morning, Lord, I ask that you would remove anything in our minds, in our hearts, that's not of you, that you would open up our eyes to see what you're saying, that you would open our ears to hear your voice, and Lord, that you would prepare our heart, that it would be ready to receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Caleb referred to it a little bit or alluded to it a little bit. You know, we get into that Christmas mode. We get in that holiday mode, and and we all have stuff to do, and there's busyness, and and there's way too much food. Anybody else eat too much food in the last couple days? I don't think I need breakfast or lunch today. No, I'm just kidding. I definitely need that. Um, And as I said, you know, Abby hosted us, and it's just things are a little bit different. Traditions kind of change, don't they, as we get older? And, and, and all that stuff is going on. All that hype is going on. And, well, pretty soon, you know, Christmas is over, and we'll begin to take down the ornaments and the trees, and the lights will come down. And probably the same at your house as well. Things will kind of go back to normal, whatever normal is, as the new year approaches. Each year when we get to New Year's, we... I don't know about you, but I I get contemplative. Like, I begin to think about things. Well, what was last year? What does this year hold? We we tend to to recognize the negative first, though, as we're thinking. That that seems to be our nature. What about the positive? What did God do this last year? Have you counted the blessings? Have you seen his hand move in and through your life? I would encourage you to make sure that you write those things down. Uh, Write down both the positives and the negatives. Write them out. Lay them down before the Lord. Pray over them. But but let him have them. And even in that, we need to hit that reset button. (laughs) I think, I I know I want to hit a reset button. Can we hit a reset button for a couple of years ago? Maybe and start it there. Um, But really, it's about us looking forward to the new year. Trusting in the Lord with true hope and in, in Him, drawing our strength from Him, setting last year behind us and looking forward with anticipation for all that God's going to do. I'm not a fan of New Year's resolutions. Anybody have any New Year's resolutions? 
Not after I made that statement, right? You're not going to admit to it. But I am a fan of setting goals and maintaining those goals. But that's a year-round thing. That's something we should be doing on a continuous basis, setting some goals and praying over things and looking for God's direction. The goal in this morning's message is to help us get ready for the new year. And as we've been diligently studying the book of Peter, short break for Christmas, a, a pause one more time as, as we celebrate what God has done and look forward to what he's going to do. And as I was praying and seeking the Holy Spirit's direction, reviewing what God has done in so many lives in and through the ministry here. What I've seen even when, when Pam and I first started to attend Calvary Belmar at the time, and what God has done and how he's moving in and through people's lives and then now here at Foothills Calvary and even him moving us up the hill to this location and now even the addition of a worship pastor. And there are many things that have happened this last year, good and bad. And as we always talk about a little bit is that battle with COVID, right? Political unrest, financial struggles, the loss of loved ones, Struggles within family units over queer theory or th that is the LGBTQ force that's out there, the choice of pronouns. But in that, though, we've also had salvations, people giving their lives to the Lord. We had a baptism. We've had restored families. Uh, we passed the 40-plus mark of Dreammaker move-in kits this year. We passed out hundreds of Easter egg baskets last year and food bags to those in need. At the food drive, we've had toy drives, Fall Fun Fest, a lot of good things, a lot of things that are just making an impact within the community and letting people know, hey, we're here. We're here if you need anything. On December 31st, you're going to have, when that, that clock ticks, <laughs> you're going to have 8,760 hours to do all that God has for you to do this next year. That's where it all starts over, 52 weeks. It doesn't sound very long, 8,760 hours. I had to do the math a couple times to make sure that it, it looked right. But that's how much time we have to do all that God has for us to do. To me, and, and maybe many of you, this last year feels like it just zoomed by. Like I think this is the fastest I've ever felt a year go by. But then there's others who maybe feel like it's the longest year they've ever had maybe because of loss or struggle. The volatility of our society is, is tough on all of us. Closed schools and businesses and masks and vaccines and a strong push away from what made this country the greatest place to live, well, it, it gets heavy. But God, but God is still in control. There was a man who was having memory issues he went to his doctor, and after examination, the doctor said, well, there is a procedure we can do for you. It'll help you with your memory, but you're going to most likely lose your eyesight. You will be blind. The man did not think. He did not hesitate in answering. He said, I will keep my eyesight. I'd rather see where I'm going than remember where I've been. What is our perspective? It's also why the rearview mirror in your car is smaller than the windshield. It's more important to see where we're going than it is to see where we've been. We need to be looking forward. 
you know, memories come up in my Facebook feed all the time, or even in the, the camera roll on my phone. And, you know, I look back and things come up from seven, eight years ago before Pam had cancer. And then seven, six and seven years ago as that cancer battle began and kind of going through those and was walking through it with my oldest granddaughter yesterday and she wanted to see all the pictures. It's where she stood for her first time on her own as we're in the waiting room at the hospital. It's where the Grinch, that's me, <laughs> where his heart grew three times <laughs> because of a little girl. It's good. It's even beneficial to look back at some of those things. There's some great memories and there's some hard memories. But we have to keep walking. We can't live in those memories. We, we have to keep moving forward. We have to keep walking with our eyes on God, seeking his direction. Picture life moving forward this next year like a city with four walls. Four walls that we need to review where, where we actually are in life and, and plan for what is next. And like Nehemiah, he was reviewing the walls of his city, Jerusalem. Nehemiah 1.3 said, says, They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So Nehemiah got up, and he went to Jerusalem. And this brings us to our main text, Nehemiah 2, 11 through 18. So I came to Jerusalem, and there were three days. And I arose in the night, and in a few men with me, I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out by night to the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and onto the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates, which were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, and there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and I inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I yet told the Jews, the priests and the nobles or the officials or the rest who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation that we're in, that Jerusalem is desolate and the gates are burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how uh, the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. You see, an ancient city needed walls for protection from both beast and man. Without the walls, life inside the city would be threatened. The sovereignty of that city or that nation would be in great peril without the walls. But even with walls, if they were in disrepair, if they had holes in them, well, what good would they be? Just as Nehemiah looked at the walls of his great city, I want us to look at the four walls that we must build, that we must repair or maintain in our lives in this new year in 2022. So this morning, consider carefully and prayerfully these four vulnerable areas in this coming year. The first is the fractured family. The second is cultural conformity. The third is uncertain spirituality. And the fourth is waning generosity. When we think about family, 
Really, we want to talk about our relationship to them as a Christian. When we think about the culture, the the world, or the society, and and we're going to talk about our relationship to it, the truth, the, the spirituality, our relationship to faith in God, God's kingdom, or God's work, and our part in building his kingdom. If we can rebuild and fortify these walls, we're going to see God move in amazing ways ways. When Nehemiah used the term inspecting in verse 13, it means to view or examine. It's a probing as a doctor would do, an examining of the wound to see the true extent of the damage. He's looking for the extent of the damage and the disrepair. So we look at the damage to our first wall. It's the family. It's the whole of a, a fractured family. In Nehemiah's day, they had been in captivity for 70 years. The Jews had been displaced from their land. They were sent to Persia and Babylon. Basically, it's modern-day Iraq and Iran. This displaced families. It removed fathers from the home. They died in war. They, They died as slaves. Families torn apart. The family unit was under massive attack, and they were trying to rebuild their lives. How does that fit into our family today? We all know that the family unit in America has been under attack for a very long time. That's not new news to us. We all know this. The very foundational core that made America a great nation is under attack. And today, here we are as a a partial result of what happened in the 60s and in the 70s. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, free love, free sex, anything goes. Get in a relationship. Get out of the relationship. The value of a strong marriage began to erode and was dismissed. The divorce rate skyrocketed. Here we are a generation later looking back. How did that all work out? If we were to grade that great experiment, it would be a big fat F. Failure. The family in America has suffered greatly. Looking at statistics, and I could have gotten bogged down. Actually, I did get bogged down for a little bit in looking at statistics. But in Colorado, there are 321,000 children right now with a single parent. 321,000. Teen births are on the rise. As I looked at those statistics, some of the statistics of teen births started at 10 years old. If you were to go up to any of our correctional facilities and have conversations with those who are incarcerated, you'd hear story after story of broken families. Better yet, you can even dial into our foster care ministry here and you can see where the families are broken and what is happening within those situations, the direct impact that it has on kids. So just like Nehemiah, as we look at the wall of the family, we can say that the the gates have been burned with fire and the walls have huge holes in them and in some areas completely broken down. Ancient gates. They were there to safeguard those who come and go from the city. People today are entering relationships and leaving relationships with ease. There's no fortification of the gates. How many of you have heard the concept of a starter home? We've all heard of that, right? You get in a starter home. It's a a home that costs a little less, maybe needs a a little bit of work, some upgrading. You buy it, you do the work, you sell it. You get a little nicer home. You get a little bit larger home. 
It can be a valuable asset for your future. But what's happened is the same concept with relationships. Oh, it was a starter marriage. I learned what not to do. It'll be better next time. Now I'll just jump into this next relationship. It'll be better. Or wait, maybe we'll just live together. Try it before you buy it, you know. That concept has moved its way across our nation and further eroded the family unit. That concept has also worked, moved into our workplace. Oh, this job is boring. I don't like those people. I don't like the job. And again, the jump. The average job change is a little under two years now in America. Every two years, jumping to a new place. It's interesting because Pam's great uncle worked at the same place for 40 plus years and retired. That's unheard of. But it's not just that. It also impacts how we view God and how we view church. Every two years, oh, this is a little boring. It's a little stale. I need something new and fresh. We must fortify the gate and the walls of the family unit. I encourage you to hold steady where you are until it is God who says you're to move, weighing every decision and everything, every application of what you do with God's word against scripture, to seek godly counsel, to wait on him for direction. When we look at this, in addition to this, the ancient cities, it, it was the men who protected the city. They, they stood guard at the gate. They were ready to push back any attack against the city, those that lived there. Primarily men today are missing. They're not at the gate, standing guard of the family unit. The absence of the father is the strongest factor in juvenile delinquency today. And again, we listen to the stories that come from Jeffco Human Services or from our foster ministry. The number one factor in juvenile delinquency is absentee fathers. So the cure for crime in our community, it's not as much about the electric chair. It starts at the high chair. The formative years or the early stages of childhood are between zero and eight years old. And if you dig a little deeper on that, it's those first three or four years that make the biggest impact. It's where they learn quickly, more quickly than any other time in life. It's years that, that, that they experience rapid cognitive, that is intellectual, uh, social, emotional, and physical development. The wall called the family has a gaping hole. In chapter three of Nehemiah, gives a list of people who were there to rebuild the walls. Lists of people from many different towns and families all working together. Family problem, family solution. Nehemiah 4.13, then I stationed men at the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people and families with their swords, spears, and bows. So they're doing the work and they're ready to battle. They're ready to protect their family unit. They were rebuilding the walls. They were armed with swords and spears. Put on the full armor of God and defend your family. Put on the full armor of God and help defend other families as well. That's what we're called to do. What can we do to repair this wall or fortify the gate personally and in the community? Personally, number one, your relationship with God must be engaged as we're not in a space any longer where we can play Christian. You're either in or you're out. 
We've got to be all in. Number two, make family a priority. Not work, not your hobby. Learn to extend grace and mercy in your own household. You know how easy it is, and I have to remind myself, it's so easy for me to be here at the altar and extend grace to somebody and then go home and have a confrontation and not extend grace to my own wife or to my own kids. Guys, it's hard, but we've got to extend grace and mercy to our family. Be the first to ask for forgiveness. Set a time of consistency in seeking the Lord within your household. Seek the Lord in all things with your family, with your spouse, with whoever it is, what's in their family unit. Set that time and be consistent. If it's just you, if you're single, set time consistently to seek the Lord in all things first. And a note here for mom and dad that are listening. Pay attention. It is easier to build a little boy or little girl than it is to repair a man or a woman. Do the work. Be consistent. Do it in love. Dad, spend the time showing your kids the value of faith in God and the value of hard work and the value of loving your spouse. Moms, reinforce the worth of your sons and daughters. Let them see how to love their spouse. And the rest of us, guys, we're not off the hook. We've got to be all in with them. We've got to be walking with them every step of the way. As a church, we're the extended family. We're full of families from various backgrounds, and we need each other. We don't do life alone. We come together here in this community. We come to hear the word, to worship in song, to break bread together as we did last Sunday. And we, well, we come to pray with and for each other. We pray together for each other because we struggle and we need to walk through life together. We have broken family units right here in our midst. So two things, even in that, maybe you are in a broken family. Don't despair. Eyes on God. You pick up right where you are. You begin to grow in your relationship with God. You teach your kids about God's love, his grace and mercy. You see, I came from a broken family. I understand. You've heard some of the stories of my dad, not a godly example in any way, shape, or form, but God had a different plan. He surrounded me with godly men and women to guide me and direct me. And once I surrendered my life to Christ, that's what drew me into youth ministry, being able to share with teenagers that it didn't matter what their family unit looked like. God had a plan and a purpose for their life. That's what we are supposed to do as the body of Christ. That's what we do as the church. It's a great reminder for us today. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been. There's healing for your life today. God has a purpose and a plan for you. Don't stop. Another reminder in this for all of us is that you are not an accident. God has a purpose and a plan for you. <laughs> Your children... <laughs> are not an accident. 
maybe even speaking of grandma and grandpa, those, those, those grandbabies, <laughs> not an accident. God has a purpose and a plan. So single mom, single dad, remarried mom, remarried dad, do not despair. Take a stand where you are today. Begin to rebuild and fortify the wall of family. Strengthen the gate. Whatever the family unit looks like. Also know that the people are standing right there with you. And we've got a spear in one hand and a hammer in the other. And we're going to build with you and we're going to defend you and build together. All of us, brothers and sisters in the Lord, we all have work to do in supporting each other because we have moms and dads and kids that need our help. You're gonna see a big push this next year as we talk about discipleship, as we talk about going to a new level of commitment in our walk with the Lord, being committed in ministry. It's time to strengthen the walls of the family. It's time to fortify the gates. The reality is, and this, this message was done before I knew where we were servant-wise this morning, but as you walk in this morning, guys, you heard Kiersey's, <laughs> Kiersey's um, advertisement, her announcement that we need help, we need servants. We're, we're closing down the older kids for um, second service because we don't have enough volunteers. Holiday weekend, okay, but we shouldn't have to do that walked in the door and we don't have any of our security team here today. So I had to recruit some folks. So we talk about supporting and serving within the church. We, we talk about marriage building. We talk about children's ministry, youth ministry, um, the, the foster care ministry. And the harder part with children's ministry is, is the fact that we need you serving someplace else first for six months so we know who you are so we can plug you in and we'll unleash the kids on you. I mean, allow you to do ministry <laughs> with the children. Guys, the reality is that we need you. We do this. We, we do this as a body. Um, as we work through this message, you're going to see there's vision for what God is going to do uh, in and through this church, in and through you. So my encouragement to you this morning is if you have been here, you have been attending, um, it's not just children's ministry, but, but across the board, we need volunteers everywhere with greeters and every aspect of that. But there's something that happens when we begin to serve within the church. God does something within us. And we've, we begin to see that really it's, it's not about me. What can I do to, to help and, and serve somebody else and bring them up and encourage them in their walk with the Lord? There's also outside opportunities in our community. You guys, as Christians, as a, as a church, we should be out in our community serving and encouraging. There's schools that need tutors and mentors. There's volunteers for CASA and Jeffco Human Services. There's so much to do. So here in our church, we must work together. We've got to work together because you realize that society outside of these walls is working together against us. So we should be working together to push that back. Did you know that even toy manufacturers track the divorce rate? Because they know when the divorce rate raises and increases that their profit margins go up. Because mom and dad are both buying toys and things for their kids to pacify them. So society is pushing back against us. So mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, the rest of us, 
We've got to be more assertive. We've got to be more engaged in our families. Personally, we must support each other. We've got to walk alongside each other. We can't do life alone. All of us come from a different space, different background, different things have happened, but God will use each one of us as we link arms and walk together. We can rebuild those walls and that gate of the family unit. Another side note, I have a huge heart for our single mamas because my formative years as a child and into middle school, well, my mom was a single mom. I get it. I get what it looks like from a kid's perspective. Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. But if you're single, you need to know and understand that God has a plan for you. And God has a plan for your kids. Keep walking with your eyes on him. Engage in church. Get them around godly influence. Hey, stop there. I'm gonna... <laughs> Guys, we need to do this together. We need to encourage them. We need to walk together hand in hand. When we talk about the, the marriage enrichment stuff that we're going to be doing, guys, that, that, that stuff we need to be a part of, we need to be supporting, we need to be encouraging couples to be there to strengthen those marriages, to strengthen the family wall. Amen? All right. If I keep going on that, we're going to be here till after second service. The next wall has to do with our relationships to the world and society, to our community cultural conformity. Christians who are, are to be separated are becoming like the world. We're, we're being bombarded every second of the day with a call for us to be just like the world. We are to be in the world, yet not of the world. Nehemiah 2.19 says, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? This little group of enemies will pop up throughout the book of Nehemiah. There'll be a voice of dissension and discouragement. This is the propaganda machine of negativity and gloom and doom. Does that sound familiar at all? Nehemiah 4, 1 through 2 says, Now it came that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? And then if you look down at Nehemiah 4, 7 through 8, it says, Now then, uh, Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashadites um, heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on, and that the breaches began to be closed. They were very angry, and they conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause a disturbance in it. And the response eventually of all the people is seen in Nehemiah 4.10. Thus in Judah it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing. 
Yet there's much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. The, the propaganda machine worked. They stopped them. And I tell you, that's what's happening to us today. The propaganda machine of, of social media, uh, of radio, of TV, of, of movies, public school, books, songs. It, it's all geared at distracting and redirecting us. James Montgomery Boyce said the chief problem with television is that for those who watch it consistently, it undermines and eventually destroys the ability to think. This is because it communicates primarily images, not by words. And words are necessary if we're to perceive logical connections and make judgments as to what is right and what is wrong. Listen, you've heard me say it before. TV does not inform us. It is simply entertaining us, but it's doing more than that. It's distracting. Shut it off. What are you allowing to entertain you? Ten plus years ago, the God delusion, books like the God delusion, the end of faith, God is not great, they all came out against Christianity, making bigger and bigger holes in the wall, breaking the wall of our faith and drawing us to a pattern of the world. And who are the victims? The victims of those types of books and that type of propaganda, well, the fallout is on our children. One out of every three teens walk away from church when they're older. They'll be here for the Bible lessons and the activities, and they hit college or young adulthood, and they let it all go. A survey of 16 to 29-year-olds says that they're much more skeptical than they were 10 years ago. The question is asked, when did you start doubting your faith? 42% said it was in middle school. They had many questions, questions that weren't answered. So we must do more than just impose Christian values on teenagers and, and on our children. The church needs to give valid Christian answers, valid direction. We can't just say, well, just have faith, just believe, it'll be okay. And just a side note, the teaching here for our youth is verse by verse. And our children's ministry has solid biblical lessons that have application to them. We must know, as we've been talking about, what we believe and why we believe it. We've got to teach our teenagers and our kids to, to do as we talked about last Sunday. Come, let us reason, let us think, let us study and pray together. You've got to live it. You can't just say it. It's got to be part of who you are. And in that, we've got to understand the apologetics aspect. That is the defense of the faith. In 1 Peter 3.15, this is for all of us, uh, but set, afar, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. That's apologetics. You're just talking about what it is that God's word says and how it applies. Give the reason to counteract what the world's throwing at us. But you can't do that if you're not in God's word, if you're not comparing and thinking and reasoning and spending time in prayer. You can't do it. You can't do it if once you leave this place, you're just like the world and you slide right into the culture that's all around us. Romans 12, 2 tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. 
Charles Stanley says it this way, transformation begins in your thinking with the conscious that, uh, that, that are committed to listening and obeying to God. Our minds are renewed as we study his word. Our hearts are changed as we submit to him. We don't merely try hard to sin less. We learn to depend upon him, observe his commands, and trust him to mold us into people who will please him. It is then that we discover how awesome it is to live in the center of his will because it is life at its very best. And there's nothing in this world that compares to it. So we have to allow the word of God to wash over our minds. It's a reminder to saturate yourself with God's word, not man's word, not the world's uh, propaganda as we keep hearing on a continuous basis. And the next wall has to do with our relationship to the truth. Uh, uncertain spirituality, that, that hole of uncertain spirituality. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but spirituality is actually on a rise in our nation. The problem is, is that they're not searching for truth. They're just searching for things that are spiritual. It's an Oprah spirituality. Listen to this quote from Oprah Winfrey. Well, I'm a Christian who believes that there are certainly more paths to God than other, other than Christianity. She goes on to say, it's such a mistake to believe that there's only one way. There are millions of ways to what you call God. That's dangerous. But it's being received. It's being received by people. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. That is the only way. In Nehemiah 13, he goes back to Jerusalem to see people, uh, and something has happened. He sees that they're still kind of involved, but they're not fully engaged. They're not fully leaning into their faith in God. Tobiah, one of the enemies that we read about earlier, actually set up camp in the temple. He was living there, and Nehemiah went to set it straight. So even though there's an increase in spirituality in our own country, there's not an equal pursuit of truth. There has to be a true cultural shift let me back up. There has been a true cultural shift to postmodernism. That is a philosophy of no absolutes. Truth becomes whatever you want it to be. And we talked about it in our study when we went through the, the Calvary Chapel distinctives. Postmodernism has brought forth the emergent church, that, that philosophy that buys into the world's view of no absolute truth. Yet they claim to be Christian. That's why it's so dangerous. Religion today has become a salad bar. Take whatever you want and whatever you love and leave behind the things that you don't like. Leave behind the things that would be considered strict or sound doctrine. A survey from the Pew Research Group says that 70% of all major religious groups, Christian and non-Christian, 70% say that many religions can lead to eternal life. 68% of them say there is more than one way to interpret their religion. They don't understand. Here's the problem. The culture is one thing. You and I cannot get unbelievers to believe like we do. If we're trying to expect unbelievers to, to behave the way we know God's word says, we're not gonna get them there. The hole in the wall that you and I have to address though is when believers begin to sway. Believers begin to grab a hold of that postmodern point of view, that emergent church point of view. Remember, we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. We're called to be salt and light. 
when the emergent church perspective is in play, they push away the church. That's what we've got to guard against. Paul told young Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 5, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled that they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn away aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And we could spend a couple hours just right there. We, how do we close the gap? How do we close that hole in the wall? As a pastor, I have a responsibility to teach the truth. Period, end of story. Even if it's uncomfortable, I am called to be ready in season and out of season. I'm called to be ready at all times. But guess what? So are you. Your part, our part together. I, I don't live right here. <laughs> I live outside of here. Our part together is to make sure that we let the word of God confront us individually. We talk about it all the time. Lord, is there any unrighteousness in me? Help me see it. Help me make it right. As you hear God's word, do you respond accordingly? If you want to disconnect from the world's view of spirituality, you're going to dive into your relationship with God. You're going to submit when whatever needs to be submitted to. You're going to confront whatever needs to be confronted in your life, even if it's going to hurt. In Nehemiah 13, he kicked out the enemy. He kicked the enemy out of the temple. He reinstated the Sabbath. My exhortation to you is that you put truth back on track in your life this next year. This year, let the truth of God's word confront you and encourage you. Let God's word strengthen you. And remember that sometimes the truth hurts before it heals. Sometimes as you read God's word, it's just gonna bring straight up joy and comfort. We all like those times. Sometimes it hurts a little bit. Sometimes it stings. But you have to engage in it. Your heart cry and my heart cry must be genuine. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. So teach the word and let the word confront you. And our final wall to repair in our relationship is our relationship to God's kingdom. This one in particular makes people uncomfortable and not that the other three haven't made you uncomfortable. God's kingdom and your part in it. In Nehemiah 5, we see a downturn in the economy, a famine in the land. The, the taxes were being raised and inflation was skyrocketing. That sounds eerily familiar now. In Nehemiah 5, 1 through 4, says there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against the Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters are many. Therefore, let, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were others that said, we're mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our house that we might have grain because of the famine. Also, there were those who said, we borrowed money for the king's tax on our field and our vineyards. They list all of the things that played into the softening economy. And by the time we get to chapter 13, we see Nehemiah discovers that the people have stopped supporting the work of the temple building altogether. To rebuild was the very reason that they came. They shifted to survival mode. They, they forgot that their trust and their faith was in God, not in man or circumstances. And I don't know if you knew this or not, or if you study history, it, 
American Christians are the single most affluent Christians in history. So blessed in all of history. America has always been great in their giving, actually averaging literally 10% tithing until the Great Depression and it dropped to 3.3%. Any thoughts on what you think that is today? 1.5 to 2.5%. And that's a statistic from a few years ago. I imagine even now with COVID, maybe it's even lower. It sounds familiar, especially the last two years of COVID and political turmoil and shutting down of churches and different approaches of the best for what's best for our economy. Inflation is rising, taxes will follow. COVID, people are sick, hospitalized, slowing businesses, vaccines, uh, people quitting their jobs. What a mess. Many churches struggling, some even closing their doors in, in our community. Churches and nonprofits struggling to keep up. Now, if you've been here <laughs> the last four years that I've been the pastor, you're going to know that I rarely talk about money. Once or twice a year, we do a report where we tell you where we're at as a church. And just so you know, that report will come the last Sunday in uh, January. And the only other time we talk about it is if it comes up in a passage as we're teaching, then we address it. But there's something to this fourth wall that we've got to pay attention to. And this is something that, that Pam and I had to learn and grow in. So first, I want to share my personal journey and, and hear my heart in this and not in a way of boasting. I want you to understand that, that I've been striving to practice what I teach even as a teenager. And so there was a season as a teenager that I was serving the Lord. I was listening to his voice. It was back in the 80s when I had hair in the shape of a mullet. <laughs> um, but then we were in service one night and I directly heard the Holy Spirit's prompting. We had a, a young man that became homeless and uh, his family was a mess and God just prompted that I needed to buy him a car. And at that time, in, it was probably it's 85, 84, 1983 or 84, I purchased a $500 vehicle. So back then, that was pretty good. We a nice vehicle for $500 now. And I gave it to him, blessed him with it. Not sure where he went after that but I was obedient to what God told me to do. That was my first experience with, with personally giving outside of the norm. And we fast forward to Pam and I being married. We decided tithing would be part of our budget, but missions was not. I had a hard time wanting to support missions until we had friends in a Sunday school class that were gonna be missionaries in China. And God spoke to us and was like, we need to support them monthly. So we began to do that. Ever since then, we've watched God bless our finances. The reality is that it's all God's anyways. <laughs> None of it's mine. It's all his. And there are times in our marriage that I wasn't sure how we were going to make it or pay the bills or still how we even kept the house. <laughs> we didn't lose the house. God's hand was on us. He showed his favor. And this isn't a name it and claim it prosperity gospel thing. This is a lesson on reaping and sowing. Back to whatever you do, we, you do it as unto the Lord. Everything about what we do on a daily basis is to bring him glory. You know, we, we know in our culture in America, we've got this 10% thing that we base our tithes and our giving on. 
But the reality is that you need to be uh, reasoning with God. God, what is it that you want me to do to support ministry to encourage the growth of your kingdom? The owner of Caterpillar tithes 90% and lives on 10%. And he's still a millionaire. How does that work? So we reason with God. What is it that you want me to do? And really it's between you and him is what you give. And this is the only area where God says to test him in Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessings until it overflows. But in this, as we talk about money and it, it gets uncomfortable and makes everybody uncomfortable, I need to share something else with you though. This church has been amazing. If you look at statistics, giving here has been above average in obedience to the Lord in regards to giving. During COVID, those stimulus checks that were coming in, people kept coming to me saying, you know what, I don't need this. Use it in the benevolence fund. Let's give it to others. So during COVID, our tithing stayed about the same and our benevolence fund went up. That's who you guys are. We step out on faith in the middle of COVID and we double our rent and we move up the hill at the leading of the Holy Spirit. I watched God meet those financial needs again. We didn't have to dip into our savings. And once again, we step out in faith and we hire a worship pastor, knowing that for a season we dip into our savings again. But you know, it's time to grow. When we look at this next year, it's time to engage. You have to understand also, I don't have lofty dreams of being a megachurch. I do not want to do that. That's not where I want to be. I don't want to own my own jet. I don't want a Bentley. I want us to serve God. I want us to honor him. I want us to make Jesus famous. I want us to do everything we can to make sure the gospel message is presented and is proclaimed. We are in a bigger space now. But as I told you a few weeks ago in praying, we're not in this space so we can stay at a third capacity. We're in this space so we can grow. We're in this space so we can make a bigger impact within our families and within our community. Meaning that we all need to engage. We all need to share our faith. We all need to, to show up and engage and serve and, and bring guests with us in hand. And we need to be behind the ministry that God has given us. And we have the freedom to be a part of. I think sometimes we forget we have a lot of freedom right now. We can worship without duress. You guys didn't have to sneak in the back door. We walked through the front door. Let's take advantage of that time while we have it. Many people ask about accountability. We have a board. We have a treasurer that handles uh, the budgets and the reporting with Kiersey. Matter of fact, they're reviewing subscriptions and looking at how we can tighten things up as we launch it in 2022. But you need to know I have an open door policy. If you have questions, you want to ask about what's going on in the church and how things are run and, and what we do as a ministry, set up an appointment with Kiersey to chat with myself, with Nori, or with Keon. There is no hidden agenda. We want to lift up Jesus and make him famous. We want to glorify God in all that we do. So the challenge for all of us is to truly seek God's direction, to trust him with our finances, to be good stewards of our finances. This is a crucial wall within our city. We see the mess happening around us. We have a choice this next year. Separate from the church and hide or step in fully and engage. I'm all in. 
my exhortation to you would be the same. Are you all in? The challenge for us this morning then is all of these walls that we talked about must be kept in balance. We can't just focus on one wall. We work together on all four walls, making sure that our house is in order. I encourage you the same. Begin to get your house in order. Make that statement that Joshua made in Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As we rebuild these walls, as we reinforce these gates, we have to start on our own first. And then we reach out and help each other. We do this together as we take on this new year. Family, culture, truth, God's kingdom work. We accomplish great things as we do those together. This is where we truly can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen, church? Amen, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the, this last year and what you did in and through our lives. God, we thank you that we have a new year to look forward to. And Lord, I just pray for that presence of your Holy Spirit, that you would bring peace, that you would bring uh, a sense of purpose. Lord, that we can begin to rebuild um, that family wall and strengthen that gate, that we can do it together as the body. Lord, that we can build that wall back up about the culture and our community and that we can keep the enemy out and keep that propaganda out. Lord, that we can build up that wall of truth and know that we have our eyes fixed on you, the author and creator of truth. Lord, help us to build that wall to, to push back the enemy and the deception that's there. And Lord, help us to build that fourth wall. Let us be obedient to you in our tithes and our offering and, and, and even beyond that, Lord, what we would give outside into the community but may it all bring you glory. May it all bring you honor. And may it draw people to you. Maybe you're here this morning, you're listening online, and you see the broken walls in your own life. You see the struggles that are there. The reality you have to remember is that God loves you unconditionally. And he'll help you rebuild. But you have to take that first step. That first step starts with a relationship with him. And we all sin, we all fall short, but God has a purpose and a plan. This has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.